Hey, good morning, Daniel. Hey, how's it going? Very good, thank you. How have you been? Pretty good. Can't complain. It's Friday. Okay, great. It's Friday. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for taking time. Um, looking forward to this chat. Uh, let's just get started by having you do a quick intro of yourself, the kind of work that you do, right? the company you represent, and things like that. Sure, yeah. Well, my name is Daniel Lilbretson. I am a career marketer, if you will. I got my degree in marketing and I've been in marketing ever since. So I mostly have been in demand generation. Uh, I have different flavors of that where one point in time I was responsible for a sales team. I've also been responsible for a PDR team, design teams, you know, so kind of all the different flavors of what you might be doing in, in a demand generation role, mostly at large Fortune 500 companies, lean manufacturers. But mm. I did a, a stint at uh, VC-backed startups and kind of lived that life a little bit too. And a few years ago, um, decided to put all that practice to use and started up a company. And now I spend my days helping other people start up and run demand generation and ABM businesses. Awesome. Perfect recipe to to be an ABM practitioner and expert, I guess, right? So you have the sales and marketing expertise, which is good. And, uh, and, and by education too, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. It's uh, worked out well. Uh, <laughs> right. And, and how did you get into ABM? So it's a natural progression or is, is this an area that you found it interesting and then you moved on to it or, uh, how did it go and how did it happen? Yeah, I would say, um, it was kind of a natural progression. As you said, as you said with the intro here about running sales and marketing, if your job is to get get leads for your sales team and you own the sales team, and, and your sales team's job is to close those leads, then you're pretty motivated to get the right leads for your sales team. And that's that's how I started my mm. career, like like literally my first job. And so, you know, I always felt the pain of a bad lead. I always got the feedback of these leads aren't good if they weren't good. And, um, so I was always very motivated all for that. So as the uh, kind of cat technology categories kicked in around ABM, I was a big marketing automation practitioner. Um, the, when I first kind of stumbled across account-based marketing tech a long time ago, like 2015 or 16. And, um, the tech just made a lot of the processes make like fit together better, I guess, uh, the processes of generating the lead and driving the lead to where it needed to go. So, so that aspect certainly started out account-based or certainly started out demand gen, lead gen. But then along the way, if you spend any time generating leads for sales teams, you start building those relationships and you start to value that alignment and those relationships. And so for me, account-based marketing rapidly became just doing better work for the people who I'm friendly with at my company basically. And so mm. I was always motivated to mm. help them do better. So that was kind of how I fell into ABM and it just made sense for how we approached what we did. You know, we, I, I, I've often worked at large mm. manufacturers where they have strong product marketing, product management functions and product mm. management is a, in a big way about who should I be targeting and why and what should I and what should my product features look like and things like that. So when you're kind of directed by product managers and you're surveying a sales team, uh, you know, it's a natural, it's a natural thing, you know, ABM. So, um, mm. so that's kind of how I got going on it. And I was a Terminus adopter back in 16 and I bought Terminus three or four times, uh, over the years before I started my thing. And, because I moved around to different jobs and stuff. So that's kind of how I fell into it. And then, you know, I started doing podcasts and speaking engagements and stuff. And one thing led to the next and here we are. So. Awesome. Uh, you used a term called friendly, right? Referring to sales yeah. and marketing. That's not something that like oftentimes goes hand in hand. Right. Uh, and that is something that's very important for any ABM program to be successful. How do you drive that like friendliness yeah. between teams, right? So when, especially in, in large companies where people are used to be working in certain cultures, silos, right? And and how do you like do that enablement, which I think is like super important before you actually start like implementing your ABM programs? 
Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I'm going to give you my retroactive look at it, and then I'll give you the look at how I actually okay. did it the first time. But looking back at it, the most mm. important thing is empathy. I think empathy for the problems that your peers or your cross-functional um, kind of business partners are dealing with. And one of the big problems that lies between that sales and marketing relationship is sales has quarterly goals that they have to hit. And if they're not hitting them mm-hmm. in a quarter and, and, and they're getting a lot of pressure because they're not hitting them in that quarter and you're sending them stuff that's wasting your time, it creates a lot of angst. And so I think retrospectively, the, the most important thing about marketer you need to do to build that alignment is to understand what are like truly what are your sales team's goals and what can you do to actually help them achieve those goals. And if you focus on understanding that and trying to dial in your efforts for that, you can start to build goodwill and traction with your sales team. But at the same time, on the sales side of the house, you have to have sales leadership that's willing to play along. And sometimes what you find is sales leadership isn't bought in or they don't understand or you haven't explained it to them or whatever. For whatever reason, they're not bought in on spending their team's time on your on what you're doing. And so that's where a lot of the problem comes in. So building building those bridges by understanding what they're actually trying to achieve and dialing in for that uh is i think a good place to start on that because at the end of the day those people all lose their jobs if they don't hit their numbers and and mm. you know marketers don't lose their jobs if they don't hit their numbers you know it's a different it's a different dynamic so you just have to know that uh and you have to be thinking about that but i can tell you the reverse of that is if you're just getting started on this what i found is Either A, find a salesperson in the organization who's open to it. Usually they're hungry, they're newer, they're looking for ways to get a leg up, you know, and find somebody who's willing to kind of help you champion it and then build your engine around driving leads to that person, even if you're not Mm. doing that officially, so that you can start to get Mm. feedback from your sales partners so that you know what's good and what's not good. Because that feedback that comes back from that salesperson is super valuable, helping you understand what do I actually need to deliver to sales. And so if you start with somebody who's willing and then scale from there, that's an excellent place to start. And then lastly, because this is a complicated subject, if you can't get anybody at all and nobody wants to talk to you and you're still trying to get started and nobody's friendly, the best way is with data. And so you sit down and with whoever you can internally, even if it's just yourself, and you work out what does make sense from an ideal customer profile, from a persona, from a positioning, what really does make sense. Do what you got to do to run that effort in, in a account-based way. Even if you're doing the same tactics you always do, even if it's just email or ads, whatever, do that work, set up your target account list, run your programs against that target account list, even if it's just a subset of what you're doing. Get the data from that, and that data is going to tell you, oh, you were able to engage these accounts this much, they engaged back this much, they took these actions. And once you do that for 30 or 60 or 90 days, you bring that data back to the org and you say, hey, I ran this account-based pilot, we had 45% of the target account list engaged here are the hundred accounts that I picked. Check this out. They were all over this, that, and the other. And then the team's going to say, oh, I didn't know you could do that. Or I didn't know I could see those numbers. Or how did you pick those hundred accounts? And that conversation changes from like this dream of ABM to I have real data at real target account list that I can react to. Interesting. So you talked about bridging those uh, functional gaps, right? Whose job ideally should it be? It's almost that, like in all of these conversations, right? It's like I did some sort of a hack to make sure I identify that right person who's open, and I, I, I sort of like I did this in a non-scalable way. Is like typically it come, comes across, right? So it's it's not a it's not an organization-wide, uh, an established process to drive this alignment. It's like individuals really uh, very proactive and things like that they're going and taking initiative and they're trying to do some sort of an initial pilots and things like that 
and then try to prove value and then basically once they find result then like it becomes a larger well established program right so while while it, it's good for pilot and things like that so again sticking back to that alignment part right uh, how is, is there a different way to bridge the gap maybe it's top down it, it might be difficult but like whose job should should it be to like make sure uh, through process the alignments are uh, in place yeah that's a good question. It also depends a lot on how big your org is because, you know, the CEO mm. of a seed stage startup is very different from a CEO role, as, you know, Fortune 100. But, you know, I think for it to really work well at scale, you, you do greatly benefit from top-down alignment. Uh, the, the, the re- here's, here's the rub. It is hard and it's not going to be right the first time. And so right. if if you don't have buy-in from folks to stick it out for an extended period of time, it's very unlikely that you'll get to a point where the story plays out. Hmm. And what I often find is the people who who believe it won't work for them or it didn't work for their company or for the bad experience, they didn't they didn't stick it out long enough. And oftentimes Good. you don't have a choice, right? You're just you have to hit these numbers on this timeline. And what you start to find in programs that don't hit it, what you start to find is you have fundamental gaps in your understanding of your target market. You either have the wrong target list or the wrong target personas or the wrong messaging for your positioning or the wrong product. You know, you know, you might have it as an organization, but it hasn't been well communicated. And so in my opinion, there's one aspect of this is whomever at the org that you're that if it's a bu or a product line or 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 whatever it is that owns the product and owns the Hmm. the plan of hey we're gonna get this much revenue from this product in the market that person Hmm. is probably the most important person to have bought in and that person's also going to most naturally understand why they would be bought in on this because they've right. got the revenue goal, they've got the market, they've got the product, and they have to go get it. And what you're doing is helping them stand that up. So, so I think you know, top-down buy-in is certainly important. And my career grew mainly off the back of being recruited into companies where there was top-down alignment. So there was somebody at the mm-hmm. top who was at least promoting the idea of it. You know, so it was certainly helpful right. for me. But. Um, but if you can't get the top down alignment, it's probably a communication gap, uh, you know, in terms of what even are you talking about doing and why, but there's right. nobody on, there's no business leader in this world hmm. who would not rather spend their money on the right people at the right account at the right time right. for the right deals. I and mean, they would all want hmm. to do that. So if they right. don't, if they're not, if they don't want to run your ABM program, they don't understand. They're not understanding what you're, what you're asking hmm. for. Hmm. No, I, th- I think it makes uh, sense. So in, in terms of your engagements with your clients, right? So what type of, uh, generally speaking, uh, the kind of customers or clients that you work with? And also I wanted to follow up th- uh, that question with the readiness part, right? What type of companies typically should start thinking about or wanting to do ABM? Should make sure that these are the number of things that has to be in place in terms of the hygiene before starting to think about ABM, right? Through all these initiatives that we are doing, so there's a lot of awareness towards ABM, right? Every small company, one member marketing team, so they are wanting to do ABM, right? So are they, can they do something like that? Something like an ABM or or what? Yeah, that's a good, it's a good question. You know, I always say it's vision, mission, goals, right? Or you will sometimes hear a strategy, tactics, technology, whatever, however you like to think about it, but yeah. The mission or strategy that is ABM, everyone should be thinking about that. Everyone should be thinking what makes a good account a good account? What makes a good target audience a good target audience? What should I be saying mm. to those people? And mm. why should I be saying it to those people? We all larger, yeah. all businesses should be thinking about that. And at its core, account based marketing is a framework to help you write that down, help you come up. If you've never done that before and you're, you've got a technical background, you've never done marketing, you're not educated in marketing, well, ABM frameworks or ABM books or ABM case studies 
give you the, the kind of approach to take to start to answer those questions. And that's without buying anything. You're just thinking about mm. who should I be targeting and why, or what should I be saying to them? So that's where I believe it starts and everyone should do that no matter how big or small or early stage your company is. However, as you start to scale up from there and try to go generate demand, it is really hard to generate demand at scale if you haven't fundamentally answered the question of who is my best audience. And so if mm. you're still shotgunning three or five different audiences, you're like, oh, sometimes they're here, sometimes they're already, you don't definitively know these are the best kinds of accounts for me to go hit. This is the best kind of person for me to go talk to. If you don't know that, then, it, then it's not a good time to scale that. What you should be focused mm. on is, is doing the testing and the smaller pilots and the smaller efforts that you can do to start to learn that. And, and that really starts with conversation, either between you and customers or prospects or you and your sales team or you and customer success. Because what you're trying to answer is what made somebody a good customer and and why and uh, mm. and why would you want more mm. customers like that? And so you can use your tactics and your data and your conversations and your processes to dial in on that. And as you get more confidence in that and you believe, okay, this is the right person for me targeting, and this is how I know it's the right person for me targeting or the right account for me targeting, then you start to scale that up and and start investing real dollars into that and and you know abm programs can get super expensive but they can also be really scrappy so it just depends on oh all where you're at but i would not tell someone to go buy a bunch of tech and hire a bunch of people and create a bunch of content if they haven't answered those questions uh you know so that's that's why i would say it's for everybody depending on where you're starting but as you scale it up, if you have nailed your product market fit and you feel really good, you know who you're after and why you're after them. That's that's where it's prime time to hit it hard. And every dollar you spend on account-based marketing versus any other approach that you're taking is gonna is gonna pay out higher why if, if you're following the the process, you know, and, you're, and you actually have the answers to those questions. Right. Great. Uh, are there any interesting ABM campaigns? Right, from your experience uh, that you would like to highlight, right? Challenges or anything that you were able to overcome, right? So which people can sort of learn from it and then implement in their programs. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a big question. You know, as we said at the beginning of the call, I've been doing account-based programs for eight years, I guess now, a long, a long, mm -hmm. long time with a lot of programs and I'm running at any time. Yeah, I know. I'm right. so, so I'm trying to think like how do you pick that apart, you know? But uh, so I would say, I would say that I'm just trying to think what the best use case is. Well, I ran I ran a program once as a practitioner where we sat down with the GM of the of the business unit and the product manager of the business unit and the salesperson of the business unit, and we answered mm -hmm. those questions. It was, our, it was actually one of my first pilots uh, many years ago. And um, we came up with like 46 target accounts that we needed to win to get to, to be successful. And in 10 months, mm. we had closed a deal at 100% of the target accounts in 10 months. Wow. And, and the lesson there was collaborate at the highest level, be focused and narrow, you know, and then I think in that case, we did a lot of tests and iteration. I mean, the tactics were ads and emails and webinars and trade shows, all kinds of stuff like that that we were doing. But that first conversation with the GM and the product manager or the sales team and saying, hey, I think this could work for you. You know, we could go get these accounts, tell me what you want, who you want to get after, hmm. and then hitting that hard. Hmm. We built amazing traction on that, you know? So that's kind of a story that comes to mind, but you know, outside of that, I think sitting down with key salespeople who own strategic accounts, uh, you know, I can think of many times we've done this, who own strategic accounts and know those accounts, been after those accounts for years and really are deep on those accounts and really asking them, what would you want to know about this account? And what would you do with that information if you knew it about that account? And then using yeah. that uh, to help you dial in your account base. 
that's also an excellent approach. And I've seen that play out many times and close a lot of significant business. You know, more recently we did that work with a client and they had 10 targets to start up this effort. And in three months we had closed three of them and, uh, you know, doing exactly that. What would you want to know? How would you use it? Why would you do it? And then dialing in all the messaging for that. So, so I think the lesson learned for me has been probably start small, ask those questions, talk to those people, understand why they would want to know what they would want to know, and then do the things that you can do to get those messages in front of those people and collect that data. Hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, today, when you, let's say some client of yours a prospect of yours right start engaging with you so what are the different steps or phases that you take them through especially those who are new to abm right so how do you like sort of progress them and mature programs how do you yeah. so you talk to both scrappy abm a little bit right and you talk to about starting small so but as a playbook right so how what do you guys sort of how do you approach it absolutely um, it all follows basically the same process. Um, you start out by answering those fundamental questions, uh, we call it the foundations. And so you're trying to, to get captured the target, the, what makes a good ideal customer profile. You're getting, trying to capture who's the ideal persona, uh, or personas and, uh, what's your positioning in that context. And this is not for your company. This is for the campaign. So a campaign is basically. You have a unique audience that has a unique problem that you have a solution for, you know, so you might have a solution that's a product and that might be a solution for three different audiences or three different problems. The campaign is yeah. one of those problems, one of those audiences. So after you, uh, nailed down, all right, here's, here's the, so the problem I'm going to go solve today for, for this audience. Here's who has that problem. That's your foundation, uh, you know, positioning. So from there, then we do the, um, market research, find the target accounts. And, you know, in my opinion, particularly in the United States, if you are running this, you should know 100% of your targets before you start. And most likely you're going to have the name of the person you want to convert before you start, uh, you know, because the data is available. So we do that work. We basically canvas the market and. Uh, and then we go into a phase of building messaging and content. So if you have the channels and the tactics and the tech, and you did that homework, you should take the, the opportunity to say something specific to that audience. So most of the time mm -hmm. people's content or website or whatever is not specific to that audience. So we take a few weeks right. to design the messaging and the content that needs to be designed and, and built for that use case. And so that that's kind of the next step. And then once we have that, that messaging and it's important, that message does not need to be perfect. It just needs to be directionally accurate because you're going to change the message as right. you learn from the audience. Right. A lot of people try to get that content perfect and it's a waste of time. It's a total waste of time at perfect content hmm. in your first go. And so, so then once you have content, then we go to market and so a goal is to understand, do I have visibility into those targets or not? Can I even see them? Do I know if I'm putting a message in front of them or not? And you know that from your analytics or the tactics that you're running or email or ads or whatever, am I getting it in front of them? That's kind of the first main game. Yeah. Then, then you need to understand, okay, what's this in front of them? Are they engaging with it? And so you're starting to understand, okay, what did they engage with and which message resonated, which, which email, which subject? So you start that, that's that first layer of optimization of, could I even put it in front of them? And did they even, did they even interact with it? Because if you can't get it yeah. in front of them, what you can't do anything. Mm. And if they don't interact with it, mm. it doesn't matter. So that's where you're starting. Right. And in parallel to that, as they're interacting with that, you start collecting signals from these target accounts and you can have a very mature stack that can collect tons of signals, like 10 data and stuff like that. Or you can have a very simple stack, like a free or very low cost marketing automation, like HubSpot or something. We're just picking up like are they on your site or even demand base has a free script that you can put on your site to track uh, IP based traffic on your site. Right. So, so then you're just understanding the efficacy of are those accounts engaging back or not? 
Uh, and so you're trying to dial all your stuff into maximizing the likelihood that you get the message in front of them, they engage back. Because from there, moving forward, now you have signals. And what you're trying to do is use those signals to uh, prioritize where you're spending your time and energy money. So the next kind of set of activity is pointing your next layer of tactics like email automation or maybe more ads or maybe social ads or something like that at accounts where you know there are signals. So, so mm. and the goal there is to drive more signals. And so you're trying to pick up specific people are interacting or specific geographies are interacting or whatever, or specific lead scores are picking up on your system or whatever. You start driving that active yep. engagement where people are actively engaging back. So that's kind of the middle of the tactics and, and you're optimizing the rate at which you do that. And you're doing the, the account discovery at more names and that and then as you're doing that, I think a critical, a critical piece of the puzzle is harvesting those signals. And to do that well, you need a human whose job it is to take advantage of those signals. And this is where some mm. people fail. Yeah, they rely on their existing staff or their existing AEs or some fractional role internally where this isn't actually their job. They rely on that person to do it. And what you need as a person's job is to harvest those signals. And that is what I refer to as a business development rep or a BDR. Not everyone calls them the same thing, but that's what I would call it. So if you have people on staff like a BDR whose job is to harvest those signals, and then what you're doing is prioritizing that they are spending their time wherever the most signals are being generated. And so as hmm. you do that effort, you're trying to understand, are you reaching them of the audience? Are they engaging? Are they converting uh, or not? And as you're doing that, you're collecting feedback from your BDR team of when you talk to that person, what do they say? Was there a budget issue? Was there authority issue? Was there a need issue? Was there a timing issue? What were the objections that you ran into when you tried to reach that person? Right. You take those objections and dial in who you're targeting and what you're saying. Out of that, you're generating meetings for your sales team, and those sales teams are sitting down and having conversations with people and their target accounts, and they're going to tell you if that was a good meeting or not. And if it wasn't, you need to change what you were saying. And if it was, you need to do more of that. So that process is a iterative feedback loop to help you understand, say this, not that. Talk to this guy, not that guy. Point your efforts here, not there. And so... That can be done with a very slim, very immature stack, and that can be accelerated and and matured up by layering more 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 channels, more tactics. Where basically the outcome of that is more signals, and if you have more signals, then you can dial your efforts in further, and you can staff up more people to get out to those signals. But if you have thousand target accounts and you start generating signals at ten or fifteen or twenty, you can go after that that's that you started you know and then as you mature campaign you get signals more and more and more and you're trying to get to a point where you're getting tons of signals last thing i'll say on this and i'll stop in my opinion the cal based marketing is about relationships it it's not about it's not about deals it's not about revenue it's about relationships if you get if your sales team gets relationships with the right people at the right account you will get revenue you will get revenue because you have a product that solves a problem that they have and you have built that relationship and they know you now and when that problem arises, they talk to you and will, you will help them. That's what I believe ABM is doing. So what marketing is trying to deliver, if you want to even call it marketing at this point, is more engagement to drive more relationships for your sales team or your company to have with the right people at the right account. And the reason why that's important is because in marketing, this effort cannot influence sales cycle times. Like, sure, mm. let, maybe that's said the wrong way. You certainly can't accelerate sales cycle time, but you can't overcome the buying process. People still have to exactly. go through the buying process. And sometimes, right. especially in ABM, that could be a, that could be a year-long process. So you can't mm. expect your ABM program to be closing deals in the first month if your sales cycle is a year. So, hmm. but you should expect your ABM program to start generating those relationships early on. And that's what you're looking hmm. for. And the quality of those relationships as evidenced by people at your company now know and are speaking with people at your target accounts. 
and and then and then from that you yield those opportunities. Because don't get me wrong, you need an opportunity and a pipeline and a revenue metric. I'm just saying that that that's not actually the goal. The goal is the relationship. Awesome, ton of ton of uh, insights there, right? So signals, signal harvesting, uh, building relationships, and I think the the outcome is like a deal opportunity or whatever. Uh, I, I just wanted to have one last question on this before we get into your favorite subject. Uh, I think you recently spoke about doing one-to-one ABM, right? With low cost or uh, little cost, right? Can you just expand on that or throw some light on uh, what that approach could be yeah. could li- or look like? Yeah, I've talked about this a lot, actually. Um and uh, you know, it's, it's been learned over a long time. A lot of people helped me learn this, so I didn't come up with this entirely myself. But uh, sure. if you think about what you're doing from a one-to-one perspective, what you're trying to do is maximize the relevancy of your message. Because the more mm-hmm. relevant your message, the more likely you are to get engagement and cover somebody. And, and a lot of times this makes a lot of sense when there is a small set of accounts that are super critical for your business to win. You've got to win these accounts for your business to be successful. Mm. That's where one-to-one makes the most sense, unless you just have tons of money. One-to-one makes the most sense when there's a set of accounts that you are able to identify, that you're able to say, if I win these accounts, this is a huge strategic importance to my company. So, so a lot of times you find this at like VC back startups or scale ups that are trying to go really fast and they have to, they have to get a logo from one of these accounts to like be able to like be a viable going concern. So, so that's where you start to have that conversation. And, and so from a cost perspective, if you don't have any money, but you have time, well, anybody can sit down and think about like that question with the sales team, what do you want to know about this target account and why would you want to know it? And if you do that, how would that change what you state in that account? You start having that conversation. It's like, oh, well, I would want to know what their, I'm going to make this up, what their sustainability policy is and what their goals are for sustainability because we sell a product that helps them achieve energy efficiency or whatever. So, you know, whatever mm-hmm. that thing might be that you want to know, well, why would you want to know that? Well, because when I'm talking to this target role over here, I would tell them we're going to help you achieve this. And I would want to know what their goals are, or what their timeline is, and how much money they're spending on it. They, no, like whatever those things are. Right. Well, mm-hmm. if you have time but no money, it's not hard to go research that account. Like you're looking on their site, you're looking in their 10Ks, you're looking at what their leaders are sharing on social, you're looking at, you know, has, any, has your target been on a podcast, have they been in an event? You know, you're looking for those kind of things to help you understand, try to get the answers to those questions. And you can either do that yourself or you can outsource that. And if you want to go really low cost, I have many times outsourced this to like onshore, onshore teams where, where this is not expensive research. If you're dialed in on what you're doing, I'm talking like 20 bucks an account type of thing. And so, and that, I mean, you have to have the right, the right team, but you can do it. So as you get those answers to those, to those questions. The next thing you're doing is dialing in what you're saying to that account in the tactics and channels that you're running. So whether you're running ads on like LinkedIn because you don't have more expensive tech or you're using tech like a Terminus, or if you want to dial back from that, maybe you're using tech like um, one of the lower cost ones like Rollworks or something like that that helps you get in front of the audience, whatever you're doing to get in front, or maybe you're not doing ads at all. You're just going straight to email. Or maybe you're not doing ads, you're just reaching out on social, whatever it is that you might be doing. If you have the answers to those questions, you start you start saying specific things to that account in the context of those questions. And where you drive those people is to a page on your site or a landing page that is specifically for them. And I think an important part yeah. of this is making it personal for them. So oftentimes you'll, we'll have pages where the, the salesperson who owns that account or that account relationship, will have them do like a 30 second video and put that video on the page that says, Hey, target company, thanks for coming and check out our stuff. Here's why I think we're a good solution for the problems that you have. And if you did that research, you can speak to that specific problem that you know they have. So, so mm-hmm. you don't have to spend a lot of money, really, really any, if you're doing it yourself 
to do that research, come up with that messaging, record that video of your sales dude, and put it on a, on a web page. So that's where it starts. And then from there, you're just dry, you're trying to get people from that account to see that. That's where you start spending money. And either you're, there's lots of ways you can do that. I think we're all pretty familiar with, with those kinds of tactics. But, but the goal is if your normal conversion rate here is two or three or 4% where you're for these kinds of tactics and you're super specific, it's super dialed in, you know exactly where you're after it, your conversion rates are going to go up substantially. And if you're paying attention to what you're learning along the way and what you're saying, you just start dialing in against that. So scaling that up, you know, first of all, I recommend that you always start with one or two, not more than five, just start because you're just trying to get, you're just trying to get your, uh, process nailed down. And I have a big presentation. I did it at BBS the next couple of years that there's a recording of that basically walks through the process. But you're trying to get that process down. Once you know how to go do that research, what those questions are, how you might tailor that, that's when you scale it up. And if you do it in the way I described, that's when you can start outsourcing the research and outsourcing the building of those messaging. And so when you can get somebody offshore to do that for 20, 30, 100 bucks per account, um, then you can, mm. you can scale that. You can scale that. So, so that's, that's, if you, if you attack one-to-one as the, it's an equation and that equation is maximizing the relevancy of what you're saying and who you're saying it to, that's where it comes down to, mm. it doesn't have to be expensive and where it gets ridiculously right. expensive is when you haven't done that research and you're just blasting out generic messaging to one-to-one, you're not going to see a gain in that performance just because you spent more right. dollars. Oh, and that's, mm. that's where you start to see people losing money. Right. I, I think that makes perfect sense. So it's all about like making sure you're relevant. And for you to be relevant, you need that research. And yeah, research is where uh, maybe that, uh, that's not the place where people are not spending a lot of uh, time and maybe even money. And then like based on your experience, that's not going to be like a very uh, costly affair that should not be Sorry. not done. Right. So perfect. Okay, let's just switch gears and talk about your favorite subject. Oh, yeah. And I think no podcast these days, right? Go without talking about AI. And we will not be <laughs> one of those who will not do. Right? So I think you, you have some, um, you, you've been talking about the influence of ChatGPT in ABM specifically, right? And I don't think anybody else is doing it in the, in the context of ABM more in, in, in general marketing, but not in ABM. So I'm curious to know. What, what's your viewpoint? And I wanted to follow that question up with uh, specific use cases if you thought through or if you're experimenting or anything like that. Just give us a, your thought yeah. around this. Yeah, ha happy to do that. Um, so there's a lot of bad information out there on ChatGPT and there's a lot of confusion on ChatGPT. And I think a lot of the confusion and bad information comes from basically this is going to sound this is not going to sound the right way but basically using it the right way and and what i mean by that mm. is a lot of people interact with chat gpt like it's a knowledge source or they expect to be able to ask it a question and get an answer and that that answer is going to be right and then they're surprised when it's wrong and that is a fundamental disconnect in what chat gpt ChatGPT is not a knowledge source. It is a language predictor. It's going to say, hmm. you use these words based on reading billions of words, the most likely words to come next that make sense based on the words that you used are these words. That doesn't mean they're the right words. Hmm. It just means that linguistically hmm. they make sense and they sound good. And the more context yeah. you give it, the more example you give it, the more... Um, the more you dial that in, the more likely that the words it gets back to you are the words that you want. But but if you don't give it any context or any instruction, who knows where you're going to get back? It might sound good, but it's probably wrong. So so in terms mm. of knowledge, it might not be wrong in terms of structure, but it is in terms of knowledge. And so so if you come at it like that initially and treat it less like a knowledge source and more like a tool that's going to help you structure information in a way that you tell us. Uh, I think that's a 
personally, I think that's a better place. I'm talking about ChatGPT specifically right now. There are other sure. large language models uh, out there, and there's other services and things like that. But even for the other ones that are paid out there, the only difference is that they've been trained or they've been given that context behind the scenes, and you just don't know it, you know, or you don't see that. That's the only difference in 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 a free or paid or like a one that was built for marketing messaging specifically versus a generic one. It's, it's just how it's trained, but the tech is the same tech or generally speaking. The same tech. So that being said, I know that's a long buildup. Um, my view is that uh, GPTs can be used to structure information very quickly. So if you have a process that you follow, like what we just talked about with one to one, and you know what that process is. Go get these, or I have this information, and from this information, I want to figure out what are their goals, what's their sustainability, whatever, 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 that type of thing. Well, you can feed that information into GPT with a set of questions and have it extract the answers for you. Well, if you do that one-off, like you just go to the mm. company's website and cut and paste the content and put it in, that's not that much faster than doing it yourself. Uh, maybe it's a little bit faster, but it's not that yeah. much faster than doing it yourself. One caveat there is you might know exactly what you want, but your intern or your lower cost employee or the person offshore who you just hired, they may not know anything about what you want. So so one place mm -hmm. where DPT can jump in is if, if you have working prompts with working context and working question, and give that instruction to someone else to go do it, that will make you faster and a skill. But it gets way more interesting when you have a machine. And so where I think the rubber really needs to road is combining GPT with, with something like Python and running it through scripts. And so you might be referencing this. I'm not sure if you saw this one out in the world or not, but I did this uh, use case around giving it a... Uh, you can basically set up a CSV of all your target accounts, the URLs of your target accounts. And you can set up questions okay. that say, go look at these target accounts and answer these questions. Like, uh, do they do this? Do they have that? Is this on our site? And using GPT and Python mm -hmm. and the API, you can have your computer go out to that website, read every word on its, on its website, look for these things, and mm -hmm. then have GPT uh, look at that information and answer questions using reason on for you. And you can do it asynchronously. So I've done this with like 2000 accounts and it'll be doing like a hundred at a time and just blowing through these sites, looking for information and answering these questions. And that is powerful because the, the use case here is for verifying your target account list from an ICP perspective. Let's say there's a really niche Right. Um, requirement like this account is a great account but only if they have X you know and that's not something you can buy that whatever that thing is is not something you can buy from ZoomIp or whatever you just you have to know that well using that process like that to go uh, skim websites and read for that thing um, can can make that way more doable than having humans sit there and look one by one saving yourself on so, I mean, that's just one use case, but, but the point is that if you can, if you understand what you're trying to achieve and you can write that down and then, and then basically outsource it to GPT, uh, then, then it's going to speed you up a huge way. So that's, that's just one use case. There's many others like, right, like writing your ads and then iterating those ads based on your personas or, or personalizing the landing pages based on the, based on the in-text, the input text that you have whatever it might be there's many use cases but but i would just encourage people to think of chat gpt as a tool that will help them process information a lot faster than they can do as a human mm. against whatever mm. you tell it to look for but you have to be explicit about what you tell it to look for and you have to point it at information good information otherwise you're not hmm so I think it's just going back to the previous question or discussions we had, right? So creating uh, that you, you want it to be relevant and for you to be relevant, you need that research to be done and how can you use something like a chat GPT to collect it and then how you process that could still be human intelligence as of now, right? Is there a way that you've thought through about a way to automate that process also? 
So what we are talking about could lead up into a tool someday. Uh, right? Oh yeah. But I'm just wondering based on what you talked about, right? So can uh, what are the uh, the downstream activities that you could do based on the re- initial research that you collect, right? Just by web crawling, for example. Could it like build a campaign, for example, or at least give the structure? Like what could be yes. messaging for each of those campaign build segments? Uh, is is that the line of thought that you have? That's what I'm already doing. Um, yes, it yeah. absolutely can be done. Uh, if you if you have the process and you know what you want to do and you know the order you want to do it in and you have the right questions and you you engineer it the right way, right. have the right automation, right? Absolutely, because you know I think where people get hung up is they they look at output from ChatGPT and they're like. I would never do it like that. That's garbage. Well, then mm-hmm. you need to be more specific on how you wanted to do it. And I, this right. is probably a controversial statement, but if you take the time, really take the time, and you iterate and iterate and iterate, you can get to a point where what you're asking GPT is so specific that it's exactly how you would do it. And the only way that's going to mm-hmm. happen is if you take the time to iterate through your prompts to get it to be exactly how you would but it will mm-hmm. do it exactly how you do it if you have written down right. exactly how you do it. So so it takes right. time and iteration, and you have to know what you're doing when you're engineering the prompts, and it's a lot of learning to get there. But but it absolutely can do it exactly how you would do it if you train it to do it that way. So that being said, right. if you have a very clear process that's very much like do this, 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 and you have that written down, and you know exactly what you're doing in each step, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Chat GPT can process that information, particularly if it's mm. language-based information. Like I would not say that for math-based stuff. Like if you have got to do a regression analysis or you got to do some kind of critical math analysis or something like that, I would not use GPT to do that. Not that people don't do that. I just wouldn't mm. do that. But like mm. another mm. example of this to get your head around it is. Um, you know, a lot of people's websites generate a lot of inbound leads, right? You get tons of inbound leads on your website. And you have, right. it says name, company, and whatever notes they put in. And you'll drop a press release, and the next day you have a thousand leads that came in on your website. And now you got to go read all these leads, and like 90% of them were trash. But somebody had to sit there and read through them. Well, if you sure. know what is it that your person is looking for, and why are they looking for that? You absolutely can automate that with GPT to have GPT go read all of them and and use reason and your process to say, oh, this is a good lead or a bad lead. And so that's a very simple use case, but it demonstrates how to think about it. Don't have it look at all mm. thousand leads. Have it look at one right. lead at a time because it can do it asynchronously mm. and it can do it in a second. And you can have all thousand of them done in like ten, like two minutes versus the human sitting there going row by row by row. So I use that example because it's a simple process of accelerating your your efforts using GPT. But what you just described, in my opinion, is totally possible of, of basically yeah. having build the whole thing for you if you know how you want to build and you're super specific. Right. Hmm. Very interesting. Prompt engineering, and I think that's what like uh, you referred to, right? So, what are the skill sets that are required? I think this is an emerging kind of a role, right? It's it's not completely understood, right? I think it's it's been loosely used, right? So, what kind of skill set uh, sticking to the marketing function, right? So, who who is doing a certain job today would be more uh, apt for doing something like this? Yeah. Yeah, I thought about this a few times uh, over the last many months here since this dropped into the world. I think one of the reasons why it was so exciting for me and I think why it's so exciting for marketers is because if you're a growth marketer or a digital marketer, you have been doing EB testing and looking at the results and adjusting for a long time, right? Like that is bread and butter for marketers and digital marketers. And it's basically what basically what you're doing with with prop engineering is you're writing two ads, testing them, taking the winning one, writing another one alongside it, testing mm-hmm. them, taking the winning one. And, you, and when, when you're done, you have the best mm-hmm. possible ad and you do that over time. We're well, doing the same thing with prompt engineering. 
like with an ad, you always have a headline, you always have the text, you always have the CTA, you've got to have less than 110 characters, whatever. Those parameters that are writing an ad, same thing with emails and things like that, mm. and the way you think about testing for that is almost exactly the same skill set for the, the, the prompt. That's different parameters and different like foundational knowledge, but it's the same, it's the same fundamental approach. So if, if you think like that, and you are in a great position to do prompt engineering. And so prompt engineering mm. itself is kind of loaded because the tech moves so fast and it's iterated so fast that tips and tricks for prompt engineering go stale pretty fast. And that's why your time, if you're going to learn this, is better spent understanding fundamentally how does it work? How does the tech work? And fundamentally, your time is better spent understanding how do I frame up the problem that I want the bot to solve for me? That's where the money is at, is mm. how do I think about the problem that I need the bot to solve for me? And why am I th and why why is it is that problem structured in that way? And the bot will go solve it. You, today, you still need to understand prompt engineering. Tomorrow, as in the future, probably less important. But you will definitely need to understand how do I frame up the problem I'm trying to solve with GPT. So, so there's mm -hmm. lots of good research and reading on that. But outside of that, if you want to get into prompt engineering specifically, my favorite, like, simple resource, well, advocated resource is um, OpenAI has something. I think it's called. I think it's called their cookbook. Um, OpenAI has a cookbook. I think is what it's called, and it's on GitHub. But you can find it on, on OpenAI's website. And it's where they have aggregated all of this research into a single place of how to approach prompt engineering. And it goes to be very, very simple to super advanced. And uh, as you kind of alluded to, there's a ton of research on this. And you can take this super high level or you can go into like deep, heavy research that's super technical. But the point is that it 100% matters how you engineer the prompt for sure. And my experience mm -hmm. is Every minute that you put into learning how to write the prompt will pay back a hundredfold in the results that you get. So, so spend the time to learn how to write the prompt because if you plan to use it, you'll get the payback. Excellent, Daniel. Uh, I think this has been like uh, last uh, hour or so. It's been an interesting discussion. Ton of things that we discussed. Thank you so much, and I think we can keep going, right? Especially on the AI front. But maybe we'll just regroup again, right? And then sure. talk more about and, and I'm sure a lot of things would have changed by then, right? Yeah. But uh, once again, thank you so much. Uh, if you have any parting comments, thoughts, uh, and, and also preferred channel for people to reach out to you, please go ahead and then share. Yeah, yeah. I'll definitely hit me on LinkedIn. I'm always sharing this kind of stuff and I'm always open to sharing more. So hit me on LinkedIn. And I guess my final thoughts are, not, not really going to be surprising to fellow marketers, but take curious, you know, keep learning. And that's, that's the whole thing. ABM, GPT, the whole thing is test and learn, test and learn. And that's, that's where you get the growth. So uh, keep going. And uh, that's really my, my top advice. Cool, cool. All right.